Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the place that Fixate is, for the place that Fixate is becoming. God, a place where our gaze is ever upon you and that we trust when our eyes are on you, you create anew in us. God, that so much of our world has told us to create with our lives instead of trust that as we pursue the creator, he'll create something way better than we ever could. So today, God, as we get into disciplines, may we be people who are disciplined in the longing to be focused solely upon you and nothing else. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And the church said, all right, we've got some engagement. Good. Uh, So with that, if you've been with us the the last few weeks, um, if you haven't, that's great. But what we've been doing, if you come here any length of time, we talk about really four buzz uh, words. And those four words are depth, discipline, sacrifice, and sustainability. So our goal is to be a place where we, we have depth in the spirit and in the scriptures, right? We have discipline in the Sabbath and in the sanctuary in which we walk out and understand what sacrifice is and we have spiritual sustainability. You know, I worked at a church in Michigan for over 10 years. And while I was there, what I noticed um, and learned the hard way is that sustainability in our spiritual walks is something that we thought existed a lot more than it does currently. And whether that was COVID, whether that was the political landscape, whether that was different um, church backgrounds that are present in this room, I think a lot of the times what we've realized is that discipline's going to come down to what we are going to discipline ourselves to do, not what other environments tell us to do, not what me and my wife live out, but how we live Jesus's lifestyle today for ourselves. If you do not live it for yourself, you won't live it very long. You have to live it for yourself. And so what we've been talking about the last two weeks, we talked about depth, right? So the first one was like creating a place and an atmosphere of depth in our lives. But then last week, we talked about depth in desolation. Because a lot of the times, right, we talk about having spiritual depth. And then when life gets hard, it's like, dang, the last thing I want to do is spend time with Jesus. Because what are you doing, God? So we talked about seasons and, and, we, and uh, we'll never have live stream here, sorry, unless COVID happens, I will say we will do that. But if you want to listen to those, we do have some stuff online. I'm not good at all that, but you can look at it later. Uh, but depth and desolation, understanding that we serve a good God even in a fallen and broken world. And so this week, what we're going to talk about specifically is disciplines. Now, What I'm framing disciplines as is two things that I believe are absolutely beneficial to your longevity as a believer. And the first one is sanctuary, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And many of us would equate sanctuary with church. For me, though, I'm fascinated by the term sanctuary because typically in the Old Testament, it was the thing that described that, that holy of holies, that inner chamber of, of the tabernacle. And what's funny is, is even when I say sanctuary to you, maybe you don't even know the definition. The definition of sanctuary is this place of refuge, of safety, of covering, of abiding, 
And see, a lot of the times, what I, if I ask you your definition of church, most of us would not say a place of safety, a place of comfort, a place of abiding, because church today has taken on many different terms. But to understand sanctuary, see, that's the thing that sustained Jesus. He was in the tabernacle. He was in the temple. But even more than that, he was in the sanctuary. And so what I want to challenge us to do today is process through the lens in which we perceive reality what sanctuary means to us. Because that's what we're building here is a place of sanctuary, a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place not of comfort in which we build our lives and seek to exist within, but a comfort in the uneasiness of our anxious world, a comfort that transcends. But before I do, I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, I'm a lot more acclimated now with Airbnb, but how many of you guys remember when it came out and you were doing it the first time and you're like, man, this is weird. <laughs> no, just me. It's all right. I know you're all lying. Um, but I'll never forget it. I was, um, I was doing Airbnb. I was airbnb <laughs> And I was, I was in Boston at the time, and I didn't know this, but I booked an Airbnb during when the Boston Marathon was happening, which don't do because it's when the busiest time of Boston is happening. So I remember I'm, I'm out there, and it was so bad trying to find an Airbnb, and this is like five years ago, and I'm super old if you couldn't tell. Um, I'm 30. Just to alleviate concerns here, I am 30. But I remember I get this Airbnb and I'm cheap. So I'm like, man, I'd really love my own, like my own house. I'd love like a dope spot. And then I'm like, yeah, but I, I can only afford one bedroom in somebody's house. So what happens? I book it. And I remember I had, I had been really busy and kind of came in and I was just staying at this house in Boston. And, and as I was there, um, as I was there at this house, the first day I was there, I met the lady and she pretty much told me, she said, hey, just so you know, I work nights, so I sleep during the day. My husband works days, so you're probably never going to see anybody here. And I'm like, great. Because what I found out is the floor plan is the bedroom was here, then it was the kitchen, and then it was the bathroom. Some of you guys will know where I'm going with this in about 30 seconds. So I'm literally at this Airbnb and I'm, I decide I'm going to go take a shower. And so I get Oh, this was so uncomfortable. I get down to get in the shower in everything in my underwear, and I realize I don't have my towel. Now, every man has faced this choice. (laughs) Will I walk across this house to go get my towel in my skivvies, or will I re-put all my clothes on, and then ultimately, as I re-put all my clothes on, I'll go out and get it. And then if I run into and in my mind, I'm like, there is no way I'm going to run into anyone here. There's no way. So what do I do? Boxers, walk through the kitchen to my room. I am three steps from the door, and behind me, all I hear is, oh. I have met this lady about an hour ago. And I turn around, and I have just... I turn around and I look at her and I'm like, hey, (laughs) hold the towel. It's like, (laughs) it was like, I do that every Tuesday with cucumbers on my eyes. Um, (laughs) That was a good joke. I, so I'm like, and she's, she looks me dead in the face and says, we don't do that here. (laughs) I'm like, clearly, (laughs) 
clearly nobody does this anywhere. I was like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm not going to argue. I'm like, I'm sorry, ma'am. I'm like backing up slowly with the towel in my underwear. I go in the bathroom and I was there for three days. So man, it was awkward. Oh, later on, I like talked to her husband. And the whole time I was talking to him, I'm like, do you know? You know, he's like looking at me and I'm like, finally, I just had to ask him. I'm like, so do you know that you're, he's like, oh yeah, I thought it was hilarious. I was like, thank you. (laughs) Hey, thanks guys. (laughs) But the reason I tell that story is because I want to frame it through this lens today. Um, Discipline, spiritual disciplines are designed Right? They're designed to keep us from doing the things that we probably shouldn't do because they've, bec- they've, they've developed these patterns within us in which it's not behavior modification, it's behavior sanctification. And we don't put ourselves in situations where our faith can be perceived as something it's not or in situations of weakness in which we can fall in our faith. And I know that's a a funny twist on this story, but I want to challenge you today. Maybe some of us have never known that disciplines are the thing that keeps you not on the straight and narrow, but going through the narrow gate. Because wide is the gate of destruction, but narrow is the one that follows God. And I believe today, if I were to ask you the question, what are your spiritual disciplines? How do you live your life Not on Sunday, because here's the deal. That one, in my opinion, we're talking about sanctuary today because I believe that sanctuary is the the engine that drives the discipline implementation for your life. But I want to start from the place of, as you look at your life, where is the engine of today, right now, this moment, taking you on your Monday through Saturday? Because if it's not, if you profess to have disciplines, but you don't, you might find a time in life where people are looking at you saying, hey, we don't do that here. So me and my wife, I just, I'm, and I hate to like tell stories and you'll always hear me tell stories about myself, but usually they're jokey ones and funny because, but I'm leaning more into this as a pastor. I'm leaning more into this as, as trying to set an example, not of do everything I do, but rather an example of we've read the Bible. How are we living it? Right. We've heard about Jesus. How is he changing us? And so even me and my wife, as we talk about it, we're, as we talk about disciplines, we pray and we fast 24 hours every week. Now, what does that mean? When we get done with church right after this, we'll go out to lunch and then we will fast for 24 hours, praying and believing for things in our lives and for our church. Why? Because I see Jesus modeling that in his ministry. I'll model that in mine. And some of you guys maybe push back and are like, oh, it's, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't talk about fasting in public, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, because everybody talked about it. Nobody does it today unless it's intermittent. (laughs) That was a a joke. (laughs) People are like, oh my gosh, I was going to do that today. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, is I've read it, I'll do it. I've read it, I don't need to hear 10 sermons on it, I'll do it. I've read it, I don't need somebody discipling me to tell me, I'll do it. I can tell you this, I'm going to preach on prayer and fasting at some point, because in my opinion, in our transition here, me and my wife, I can attribute every single breakthrough we have had to praying and fasting for months. 
I can attribute every single thing, whether it was our house, whether it's this building, whether it's this church, whether it's the transition, whether it's fundraising, if we were going to do it, whatever. Every single thing that we prayed for, praying and fasting, we have seen come to pass. And that's not me saying, oh, you know, so everybody do it and all your wildest dreams will come true. It's like, God, I'm praying and fasting for seven bill. <laughs> Bring it in, God. <laughs> I don't know why I did the Louis Engel there. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, is when we read it, do we do it? Disciplines are things that we don't just read, not just things that sound good, not just things that theoretically are awesome, but they are things where when we read them, we should feel empowered to walk in the steps of the Savior. We pray and fast. We Sabbath. What does Sabbath mean? I'm in a season, me and my wife, where we could be working or doing something every moment of every day. But we were challenged before we launched, and we had periods of rest before we launched, but we were challenged before we launched to write up two lists of what true rest is to us. We combined those lists, and I do try to, right, usually it's like nine p.m. to Friday at like seven or eight, but I do, we do no phones. We completely disengage with the world because the reminder that we are not the products of what we're producing, we are products of grace. We are products of faith. We are products of Jesus. He's the one who produces in our obedience and in our faithfulness. The, as long as we're faithful and obedient through the seasons, he'll produce the problem is, is we have the, the, the mindset of a microwavable God instead of the crockpot one. And so I want to encourage you as somebody who follows Jesus, right, is that if we're looking and we want to be close to him, what do our rhythms, our routines, our patterns, and our disciplines say about that? So we pray and fast, we Sabbath, there's something I live by and I'm just going to trickle this one in and this was just developed over seasons of where I knew when I was out of equilibrium. Every week I do something called the 4-3-2-1. Four days a week I'm intensely studying scripture, not for sermons, but for myself. And that's a reading plan that we have here, fix8phx.com slash Bible. It's two chapters of four quadrants that me and my wife have done for over five years together. And we journal everything out four days a week. I'm deep in scripture three days a week. I'm working out for my sanity, not for my actual body. (laughs) Two times a week, I'm trying to do something fun, which is golfing for me. And one time a week, me and my wife, once again, the routine of Sabbath and togetherness, four, three, two, one. So when I talk about disciplines, you better believe it's going to come from a place of discipline. Because I've seen people fall who don't have it. I've had the buddies that were more talented, that had more, that knew, had greater intimacy or were more charismatic on a platform. I've seen them, but they didn't make it. Because discipline is what determines if you will make it. And it's not, and as sad as it is, I'm saying if, because that's where we are as a country today. Because everything about our country is is coming into contact with our faith. And if we have not processed critically and thought through thoroughly what our response is to a nation that maybe doesn't think they need God much, there's going to come a point where we are going to have to process that. But I still believe he's working. 
And that's the lens we must look through. I hate when we go to church and it's just like culture wars, like the, the world hates God, like blah. And it's like, listen, in Paul's, actually, when you research Paul and he says to be in the world and not of the world, in the Greek, that actually is a mindset he's talking to. And what I mean by that is he's essentially saying you can be in the world, but not of the world. Keep your mindset away from the mindset of culture and just stay above it on me. So what I'm challenging us today is to perceive that, yes, there's going to be tough times for believers, but I love finding out. This is an Old Testament reference. It's fine. The wheat and the chaff. Disciplines determine those. So what I want to do, some of you guys are like, does he talk from the Bible? (coughs) This is a joke. Obviously, we're going to talk from the Bible. So what I want to talk about within the the determination of discipline is, is sanctuary. And strategically, I'm talking about sanctuary today because I believe everything about Christianity today is coming up against the establishment. And no offense, the establishment is not doing itself any favors. Whether it's scandals or financial impropriety or just um, taking sides and not actually knowing what it means to walk in the middle. These are all things that the church is grappling with. But I'm telling you this, you cannot convince me otherwise that God is not using the church. You cannot convince me otherwise that God is not using his body on the earth or that there's going to come a period of time where it becomes obsolete. It stood for millennia. And in all honesty, to push back on some of those people who are like, man, we like if God was in everything, we had that for a season. It was called the Crusades and it wasn't the best. What, what I'm saying is, is we need a genuine encounter with the heart of God, the Holy Spirit, and understanding of Scripture and being disciplined in those. Not a one-time yesterday's manna, and I've got it in the tent, but it's moldy. I love that analogy where every day I want you to go out and don't pick up for tomorrow. You just pick up and trust that I'll take care of tomorrow. So every day we will structure our lives and structure our church around I'll grab every day. I'll be faithful every day. I'll trust you every day, not for a crowd, not for a platform, not so I can become a brand, not so I can live in the biggest and coolest house, but God, so I can see heaven touch earth and the church restored in the image of renewal that I believe he's bringing forth. So we're going to jump into some passages, but I'm framing today's discipline around the discipline of sanctuary. And for some of you, you're looking for a place of refuge And you maybe don't want to admit it. You're looking for a place of safety. You're looking for a place of where God, you're under the shelter of the wing, that hiding place. And I want to encourage you. That's what we're trying to build here. And we may not be perfect and we're not going to be able to get it all right all the time. But that'll be our heart. So a couple things actually before I jump into the scriptures is I want to give you a couple books that really framed for us. Um, And if you want and are a reader, me and my wife are both big readers. You can come up and I can kind of give these to to you later. But there's one called The Common Rule by Justin Ely that's incredible. Um, as well as, where did, oh, I'm too far scrolled. Here we go. Common Rule by Justin Ely, Invitation to a Journey uh, by M. Robert Muholland, and Liturgy of the Ordinary. I love that one by Tish Harrison Warren. And I just want to encourage you, like I said, if you're a reader, come talk to me afterwards because I think disciplines, sometimes it's overwhelming to be like, okay, I've got to read my Bible. Right? 
There's stuff out there that will help develop the framework. And we'll talk more about that next week. But today, we're talking about sanctuary. Psalms 26.8. Oh, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place your glory dwells. Psalm 27, 4 and 5. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of him and to meditate in his temple. Listen to this. For on the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. He will hide me in the secret place of his tent. I'm sorry, once again, no, no offense, like I'm not reading, like he's going to hide me in that good podcast. He'll hide me in his tabernacle. He'll have a place for me in his tent. He will lift me up on a rock. Luke 2, 41 through verse 50, nine verses I'm going to read, so put your Bible helmets on. It says this, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. I love that, because 12 years old, if I told my parents I was just going to stay behind, like it's like we read, sometimes we read the Bible and we like, in this one, it's like, it's Jesus. He couldn't do anything wrong. But like my mom was here opening weekend. If you met her, you know, like at 12, if I was like, mom, I'm just going to stay behind. That's like a, bah! you ain't staying behind nowhere. You're getting in the car, right? Mary was a good mother. My mom's a good mother. Dang. She's going to listen to this. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. Oh, she is going to text me a dead sea scroll. Anyway. And as they were returning, verse 43, and as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Verse 47. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? They did not understand the statement in which he had made to them. When I first stumbled on this passage and I was um, kind of uh, dissecting it, what I found fascinating is that nobody has ever said what I'm going to say probably right now. And if they have, please tell me after. These are the very first words Jesus ever speaks as a human on planet Earth. Right? So think about this, right? The profoundment of Jesus' first words, what do they point to? The church. What do they point to? The building and the structure. What do they point to? In another translation, it says not only that he would be in his father's house, but it says consumed with all things him. And I just find it so interesting today how we think we can, we can separate spirituality with the gathering of sanctuary. 
Because Jesus' first words ever spoke point to not only probably our need, but his need to be in it. And what's interesting is actually, right, we dissect the passage and we dissect what we see is that Jesus is essentially giving the right answers and they're shocked at who he is. So what we can see is he may not necessarily even really need to be there genuinely. I mean, he is God in human form, but he's there. And when his parents show up, what are the words he says? Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? But I love the, 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 the backdrop of it, right? He's lost. See, when it says that he decided to stay back, it didn't say that he decided to stay back in the temple. It just said he decided to stay back. What I also love is that Joseph and Mary were feeling anxious looking for him. And where did their anxiety lead them to? See, in this day and age, we have a, a, and and we'll talk about this in the future, because we're going to talk about difficult subjects in the light of biblical truth. But we have this epidemic of mental health crisis. And where we see right now within mental health is we don't know where to go. We don't, we're going to go to the temple. And I genuinely think that Mary and Joseph went to the temple not thinking they would find Jesus there, but thinking they would get prayer to hopefully lead them in a direction he was. And I would challenge you in this is if you're struggling with these things, do you have the discipline of sanctuary, refuge, safety, a place to hide? And I love it once again. Didn't you know you'd find me in my father's house? Can that be said of you? Is it said of your faith that you can be found in your father's house? And you have a specific place that that is. I was actually talking with my buddy Wendell about this. um, Because we were getting in the weeds a little bit of like, okay. Technically, that was the number one, like, Jerusalem was like the Mecca of church, right? So it's like, was he speaking to the strategy and strategic location of the, of the temple in, Beth, er, in Jerusalem? And I, I'm not the advocate to that. I'm of the place where I think it's shocking that when we ask people, hey, do you know what Jesus' first words are? Most of us wouldn't know. Actually, if you Google it, what were Jesus' first words? The Sermon of the Mount's going to come up. You got to go like five or six articles in to really find somebody who's like, hey, it's actually the 12-year-old guy who got left at the temple. And I think even some of us, if I were to ask you that question, did you know that Jesus' first words pointed to his need to be in the temple? Many of us maybe didn't know that. And I would ask you once again, do you have that need as well? And if you can answer that question and say, no, not really, then I would say, okay, then you're probably a little better than Jesus. It's a joke. (laughs) Some people are like, wow, I don't know. (laughs) And once again, I, I, I never want to be a place where I have strong opinions. I want to be a place where we have strong biblical convictions. And I believe within the biblical framework of what we just talked about, that that biblical framework points to the physical body gathering and communion of us as a body of Christ on the earth. 
of the church building and the need for it. And so what I wanted to do, like I said, is we're talking about disciplines today. And I just wanted to challenge you within it because once again, we've looked at those first couple passages in Psalms, I think were so awesome because they literally pointed like David is just, which for a lot of us, if you didn't know, it's just such a, like he's an incredible example, but then you study the Bible and you're like, "Ah, pretty faulty one too. And it's like, that's just humanity, right? Is that we can be incredible followers of Christ, but still have faults. But what I love, like I said, is when we talk about Jesus' first words ever spoken, they pointed to his need to be in the house of God. So what I want to do is give us three thoughts today on sanctuary and your role within it. Three thoughts on sanctuary and your role within it. The first one, if we can't be a part, we won't have a lasting part. And I, I capitalized lasting because I genuinely believe that that for some of us, we've been through seasons where we've like kind of been a part and there's been years where we were a part of something that we were like kind of a part of and kind of not. But once again, when I look at the biblical example of following Jesus, he is not thinking about, and I'm gonna challenge your paradigm on this, he is not thinking about, even though he is, but not as much, two months from now, three months from now. He's wanting to walk with you for your life. We're talk- when me and my wife were deciding to move here and plant this church, we weren't thinking a year or two. We were thinking decades. We were thinking, okay, we will leave all our family and all our friends and probably die somewhere that we did not think we would two years ago. But my time frame through the lens of disciplines is a lot more protracted than a timeline without them. Does that make sense? When you have a discipline with God, you are thinking long-term. You are looking through the lens of sustainably walking with him for years. You're assessing your choices through the lens of not two months. But God, root me in your house. May I be a tree firmly planted by streams of water that yields fruit in all seasons. See, that is what sanctuary is, is in all seasons. When it's dark and cold, I'm going to trust you're putting apples on the or- in the orchard. And I want to challenge you. I really believe that a lot of us today, if I were to ask you, do you want a lasting part in something that makes a difference? We all would say yes. But if I said, all right, then commit to a local body, a place of worship, most of us would feel the disconnect there. Why is that? Because when we look at scripture, what we see, in my opinion... There's a reason, even though Jesus, Jesus has 30 years of preparatory work before he has three years of ministry. Talk about a weird timeline. The son of God, 30 years not really known, and then three years, he's the biggest thing on planet Earth. But what was it? It was a time frame that was di- different, but disciplines dictated who he was. And I would challenge you that for some of us, we're wanting an existence, we're wanting something to lead us forward, and we're not realizing that the disciplines of your life is what your life will be built on. And if you don't have disciplines, and specifically this one, the sanctuary, is we want to play a lasting part, but we most likely won't be able to. 
And it's, I'm not trying to get that from like, all right, everybody buy in. I need you signed up for three times a month, reoccurring giving, even though you should reoccur give. We <laughs> Jesus, God. Oh, like, like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's be people who look at Scripture and say, God, I want to walk with you sustainably, rhythmically, within pattern, within discipline. Second thing, spiritual maturity starts and ends with a track record of faithfulness. The deeper the roots, the greater the fruits. Spiritual maturity to me is, can you go through seasons of offense? Can you go through seasons where it's not going good? Can you trust, believe that God's in control? And to commit to a place of sanctuary, to commit to a house of God, there's going to be seasons of that. And don't get me wrong, there are in, in circumstances, I, I know, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to be gut level honest. We, me and my wife did not know the level of trauma we would be entering into when we moved here from, to Phoenix. And what I mean by that is the trauma of uh, just different things that have happened um, in the nationwide church. And even for some of us who feel this way of being viewed, young people being viewed just as commodities. You're just something to be used for your gift. And it's funny because, like I said, me and my wife, when we moved here, we were not expecting the, the amount of that that would be felt here in the valley. And I want to say this to you, that this sanctuary is not going to be built on you as a commodity. It's not going to be built, hopefully, on anything. That's, we're going to stay as close as we can to Jesus and trust that he's leading us forward. But I'm going to say this, is I want to challenge you that I believe spiritual maturity is there for all of us. But it's a track record of faithfulness. And it's not the only faithfulness measurement is are you at church on Sunday? The faithful measurement to me is what are you taking from Sunday and applying to your life? And if you're not taking anything from here and placing it into your heart of hearts and walking out the posture... And then you won't achieve spiritual maturity. And really, you most likely won't walk with God very long, especially as it gets harder and harder. And I want to challenge you in this. The greatest joy I've found in my life, there's that four, three, two, one. When I do not do that in the week, there is my brain is foggy. My emotions are all over the way. My stress level is very high. There's something about the disciplines that keep the anxieties at bay. And I want to challenge you, some of us maybe were overwhelmed and overcome with an anxiety. And it may not even just be a seasonal anxiety. It may be a, like, God, what am I going to do with my life? There's something about disciplines that refine the process of finding who you are. And so I want to challenge you within that, right? Spiritual maturity starts and ends with a track record of faithfulness. The deeper the roots, the greater the fruits. I hope one day that when we all get there, he looks every person in the eye who comes here faithfully and says, well done, my good and my faithful servant. The last one. Disciplines of sanctuary must be in a place, must be in place, so when the devastation of detours happen, we aren't taken out. See, disciplines are what keep your life from hitting that rock bottom moment. 
And that's not to say that you're never going to sense it. You're never going to feel it. There are going to be seasons where we really feel that God has taken us on a detour where we did not want to be. But discipline is what keeps those detours from being the thing that fractures the windshield that we look through. And once again, I just want to challenge all of us today. What are our roots like? And not just how deep do they go, how far out and who else do they touch? You know, there's a, a, a really cool, um, I almost said really cool analogy, like I'm cool that I came up with this analogy, but I didn't at all. But the California redwoods, if you actually research some of the longest standing trees of, in, in all of America, they don't grow straight down. One of the only root systems in all of nature that do not grow straight down. And typically what you see with redwoods is they don't grow deeper than 10 feet, which is wild. Because you understand if you look up these later that they are huge in diameter and circumference. They've stood for hundreds of years. Their roots grow outward. And they grow outward hundreds of feet. But what you'll find is, is that redwoods that have stood the longest is because they've stood the longest in a grove of other redwoods. And what I mean by that is they've stood the longest because what they actually study and dissect about redwoods is as the roots grow out, they intertwine with other roots of redwoods. But here's what's even crazier. In some circumstances, redwoods' roots fuse with other trees' root systems. So when the things are shaking and the storms are coming, they may not be deep, but they're together. And see, some of us, see, when I talk about disciplines, we look and we say, man, I don't know how deep, I don't know if I can do all this stuff. But I tell you, when you come to the sanctuary, there's a fusing. When you come to the sanctuary, there's an interconnectivity. When you come to the sanctuary, it's, hey, you're safe here. You have a place here. And for some of us, I want to say that if you, if you feel like the tree's about to fall over, Come to a place where your roots can be fused with others. In closing, 1 Peter 5.8, be of sober spirit, be on, high, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, pours around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I'm going to read this one more time. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I've been to South Africa, Kruger National Park. It's incredible and witnessed a lion feeding which is terrifying. <laughs> but what's interesting to me is actually if you study, we're going full Animal Planet Discovery Channel, it's okay. If you actually study lions, what you see is that typically they, they obviously hunt in packs and what they do is they, isol- they, they focus on the isolated, they focus on the weak, they focus on the most vulnerable. Maybe many of us have heard that analogy, and in this context, it does make sense. But there's another thing that happens when lions hunt. And when they come up and they cannot find, and I learned this through my tour guide. This isn't actually me talking. This is, I forget his name, but he was really cool. (laughs) And I want to challenge you in this is maybe for some of us, right? We're feeling isolated and weak and almost withdrawing, and the enemy wants you to do that. But the other one is this is that when a lion pack comes up, 
on a herd and they cannot find someone that's isolated, someone that's sick, someone that's falling behind. What will actually happen, and if you know this, the female lions are the ones that typically do most of the hunting. What will happen is, is the female lions will creep up behind this herd and the male lion will rise up and roar right in front of the herd. And the goal is, is when that lion roars, is that they will turn and run backwards into the female lions behind them. And so what's interesting is they hunt in two ways, right? They try to, try to get us sick and try, or try to pick off the sick and the wounded and the broken and the ones that are falling behind or isolating. But the other one is try to get you afraid and running backwards. And I want to say this today, sanctuary... The sanctuary here, we have to make a determination that in our world today, there will be fearful moments, but they will not make us go back. And discipline is us realizing that, man, we may be in environments where we are terrified, but we will go forward. And I want to encourage you today that if you're terrified and if you're afraid and you don't know what's going on, don't get isolated don't get broken down to the point of withdrawing. Press in, and even when you hear the roar right in front of you, go forward. Sanctuary, refuge, safety, a hiding place. Stand to your feet. With every head bowed and every eye closed, what we do here is we pray out the message over people. And so whatever you're comfortable with, whether you want to open your hands uh, or whatever that looks like, we just pray out what we felt like the Lord gave us from his word. And I want you to receive it as a blessing today. So like I said, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we choose today to no longer overlook your house. We will not write off the idea that we do not need to be rooted in community around the sanctuary. We come to your earthly home for safety and refuge today. Remind us of our need for its rhythm in our lives challenge the lens that we look through to see our needs for the sanctuary and those things to be something built into the fabric of who we are. May we never view our commitment as something we graduate from, our involvement as pure voluntary and our attendance optional based on our schedules. May we be planted in the house of the Lord, flourishing in the courts of our God. Father, would you use us to paint a new picture, one in which we value commitment to a house of worship and we build it into our suffocating schedules, a place where we can be, a place we can breathe, a place of being and not always doing, a place of stillness and a place of quiet, a place where we gather, not for the sake of a gathering, but for the sake of our souls being in tune with our creator. You have the space. You have the time. 
And this is holy ground.